lesson this day continues the great Easter story in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he looked to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence. Signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you remember the first time that you really felt freedom? When you could somehow exercise the power you had as a person and you didn't have to follow exactly what someone else was telling you to do or showing you. I will never forget that day when my parents left me at college. They, as I will be one day, were tearful as they drove away. I felt a sense of freedom and life. I could go wherever I pleased around campus. I could eat whatever I wanted. I could go to sleep whenever I felt like it. And no one could really tell me otherwise. It's not that I had been living under an authoritarian dictatorship at home. I had just been released from being under my parents' direct care, and I was now under my own care. The hope that all parents have is that they've prepared their child well enough to strike out on their own, to make good choices, to eventually not eat pizza every single day, to go to sleep at hours eventually that are in the p.m., we all have various times where we have felt that newfound freedom. You may recall when you got your driver's license and you could go wherever you wanted to go. Your parents weren't next to you telling you how to drive and what to do. And in fact, it was before Find My iPhone, so they didn't actually know where you were. It's a feeling of freedom, pretty exhilarating at first. 
You may remember feeling a similar feeling as a kid at summer camp. You didn't have to ask to go to the canteen to get Skittles and Coke, a healthy snack. You just could do it. Or you may have taken your first trip alone, traveling abroad, feeling the freedom that the world is your oyster. After Jesus was crucified, the disciples were not feeling free. They were cloistered together, the scripture tells us, afraid, behind locked doors. This was where the gospel tells us the disciples were on the resurrection day. And even eight days later, after Jesus first appeared to them, they are gathered in the same posture that they were before, cloistered, afraid, behind locked doors. And it is behind these locked doors that the resurrected Jesus comes to them. When the disciples were behind locked doors, Jesus pursued them. Here is Jesus' pattern in this passage. First, he walks in through a locked door and stands in their midst. Then he offers them the blessing that they have said to one another countless times, peace be with you. But this time it sounds different. In Middle Eastern culture, peace be with you is the common greeting. Shalom is a form of it in Hebrew. Assalamu alaikum is how Arabic Muslims and Christians greet one another. But Jesus is doing something a little different here because he is offering the peace that he promised the disciples before the crucifixion. If you recall, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The disciples had to be amazed, dumbstruck, and eventually joyful as they saw that Jesus was standing there before him. And then the risen Jesus shows the disciples his hands, his feet, and his side. All of the places where his body had been driven through or pierced on the cross. This Jesus who is with them is not a ghost. No, he is very real. In the beginning of 1 John, which in many ways is a commentary on John's gospel, the author writes, We announce to you what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what, we have, what our hands have handled about the word of life. So Thomas, when Jesus pursues just him and approaches him, sees Jesus' hands, his feet, and his side. Jesus tells him to put his finger on the wounds, to touch them. We don't know if Thomas even touches the wounds because within a moment he believes. Thomas has been given such a bad rap throughout all of church history, and I don't think the guy did anything wrong. He wasn't there the first time. All he wanted to do was see the same thing that the other disciples did. But after Jesus shows them who he is, he then pronounces to the disciples an incredible proclamation. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus, just as Jesus has pursued the disciples, he now shows them that Jesus believes in them. This is the power of co-mission. Think about that word, commission, that we use. It breaks down into two parts, right? Co, which means with, 
and mission, which means to send forth. To cooperate with someone means to run something with that person. To be on mission means to be sent on a specific task. So Jesus, who has prayed that disciples will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This Jesus believes enough in the disciples to send them out upon God's very mission in the world. The mission of offering life in the place of death. The mission of restoring God's relationship that has been broken by the powers of sin and death. Think about it. Jesus called these disciples first. They weren't lining up and turning in applications to see who would be selected to become his followers. No, he pursued them. And he called them. And now he believes in them. Before the disciples could believe in Jesus, Jesus believed in them. And then connected to this very co-mission, Jesus inspires the mission with his power. He breathes on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the promised spirit that Jesus told the disciples they would have. He told them that unless he left them, they would not have this advocate, this comforter with them. I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. I won't leave you as orphans, Jesus promised. I will come to you. Jesus has done what he has promised. He came to them. And then he breathed on them his life-giving power in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is one with the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. The disciples are given this presence. The presence of God into their very lives. So now Jesus can ascend into heaven and reign forever, leaving the continued work on earth to these empowered disciples. In this one action, this sending forth and empowering breath, Jesus turns the disciples into apostles. By definition, disciples and apostles are different things. A disciple is one who follows. Disciples were encouraged to follow a rabbi so closely that they were said to have the rabbi's dust on their feet. That was what these men's role was during Jesus' ministry on earth. To be so close to him that his dust would rub off onto them. But now Jesus sends forth his disciples. They are no longer just followers. They are co-workers through Jesus' co-mission to them. What Jesus has done is set the disciples free by making them apostles. Through his resurrection power, he has given them life and given them the ability to realize who he really is. As Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And when they believe after Jesus believes in them, they have this new life. They no longer need to live in fear, cowering behind the locked doors. They are apostles now. The disciples cowered in fear, but God pursued them, believed in them, and turned them into apostles with the power of his Spirit in them. The church cowers in fear behind closed doors, relegating spirituality to a private exercise about me and Jesus, but God pursues the church, believes in the church, and turns the church into an apostolic body with the power of his Spirit in us.
You see, we are those disciples. Not just you and me as individual persons, but us as a church. We are living without the freedom of being apostles who are sent by Jesus. So the church has spent a lot of its time squabbling. Think about us squabbling over human sexuality and differences of opinion. Squabbling internally and getting into fights that lead people to leave the body and to have hurt feelings and distrust of the institution. Or the church spends a lot of its time catering to the people gathered in its cloister behind the locked doors. We become like a country club catering to its members or like a board of directors catering to its shareholders and never is everyone happy or satisfied. That's what happens when we are behind the locked doors. Jesus has pursued us, believes in us, and sends us out to carry out his co-mission. Not just as individuals, no. Jesus uses the church to be his body in the world. The church is an apostle. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann said it this way, Believing in Christ's resurrection does not mean affirming a fact. It means being possessed by the life-giving spirit and participating in the powers of the age to come. So believing in Jesus is not just assenting in our heads that the resurrection indeed happened or being able to say it in the creed. Believing in Jesus' resurrection is about being possessed by the life-giving spirit and participating in the powers of the age to come. Friends, that is what the work of the church is all about. That is what being a Christian and being part of a church community is. We should feel as a church the same freedom that I felt in that first week of college. We are empowered by Jesus to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine, so much more than we could ever think is possible. The church is sent forth to respond to people's deepest needs and be with them at their darkest times. The church is sent forth to help change structures that keep people in poverty and in bondage. The church is sent forth to teach people how to live as whole and holy people in a world that doesn't see that very often. The church is sent forth to worship the risen Christ and to participate in his life instead of the powers that deal in death. Jesus has unleashed his power in the church to be his resurrected body in the world. Jesus believes in us that much. He has turned us loose and set us free with his life in the world. I only wish that you would believe it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.